At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. My name is Rob Snow White, and I meet a lot of interesting people in my line of work. Granted, I do live in an area with people of very diverse backgrounds. Dr. Peter Brooks is one of them. I wish I had recorded our conversation on my boat last summer, and I just couldn't do that. So I had to call up Pete and get his story on the podcast. Dr. Peter Brooks has led an extraordinary life. He has been there, he's done that, and he has stories. I wanted to share some of his declassified stories with you on the podcast. Before we start, I want you to jot down on a piece of paper where you think Black Fly bit Pete while he was in Maine. He has traveled to all 50 states and more than 60 countries on five continents. Pete served as the International Election Observer in Indonesia and Cambodia. Pete has been to more countries than Jeff Courier and he's fished or hunted in almost three dozen states. He has made some 4,000 appearances on TV, radio, and podcasts. He has been a foreign policy columnist for nearly 20 years. Pete has testified before six different Senate and House of Representative committees, and he worked for the George W. Bush administration, the CIA, and the State Department. Dr. Peter Brooks is a decorated military veteran. He has more than 100 missions and 1,000 flight hours aboard U.S. Navy EP-3 recon aircraft. He is now a retired reserve Navy commander. Dr. Peter Brooks is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. He attended the Naval War College, the Johns Hopkins University, and Georgetown University. Pete is also an award-winning outdoor writer, publishing in newspapers, magazines, newsletters, and blogs under Brooks Outdoors. He did not start fishing and hunting until later in his life. When I ask who will play him in his movie, I'm not joking. And if you're in the market for a new all-weather, waterproof, Bluetooth speaker, Please go to TurtleBoxAudio.com and enter Snow White at checkout and save 10% off. Your summer will not be the same without a Turtle Box. You can trust me on that. Now, we're going to go find out about North Korea for the first time in this podcast. Let's go meet the exceptional Peter Brooks. 
Peter Brooks. You want to introduce yourself? You've got quite the accomplished resume, so you don't have to jump into all of it. I'll cover some. <laughs> no, I, I think the reason I'm on the show is because I'm a, a small-time freelance, part-time uh, outdoor writer from the Washington D.C. Washington D.C. area. Do you have a doppelganger, somebody that <laughs> people can imagine? For those that don't have cable TV and don't watch the news. Or who's going to play you in the Peter Brooks movie? <laughs> I never really thought about that. It's the first time I've been asked that. Do you have any suggestions? I can't think of it. <laughs> I, mean, it was, I was just dehydrated last time I saw you. I don't know how hot it was in the boat that day, but yeah, I wasn't was. thinking straight. <laughs> That's why you have me on the show today. Yeah, we can catch up on all that. Great, obviously. Yeah, so where are you now? If we're going to throw a dart at Northern Virginia for somebody that's in Sweden, where would they picture Fairfax you? County. I, I live in Fairfax County and work in Washington, D.C. I work in a public policy institute. And my my day job is uh, is foreign policy. And like I said, I kind of describe myself as a, uh, a D.C. foreign policy nerd by day and a Virginia outdoor writer by night. And I figure all this hunting and fishing is just so you can feed your son. <laughs> no, you need a hobby. When you work in politics, I think. Right. And, uh, you know, working in Washington for gosh, how many years now? You know, everything from Capitol Hill to the Bush administration to the CIA and State Department and U.S. Navy. Uh, you know, I think uh, you need to decompress a little bit. And I find getting out into nature, whether it's hunting or, or fishing, is, uh, is pretty cathartic, therapeutic. And the interesting thing is I didn't really start this until I was uh, kind of midlife. This was so, not hobbies growing up at all. Yeah. So what was it that got you into the outdoors? And, and with everything, I, I just need the declassified version of what you're allowed to say. Um, <laughs> I'll just pre-emphasize that or preempt it now because there's, there's questions that could go either way, classified or unclassified <laughs> later. Um, right. So <laughs> what, what was it that was the spark to get you out into the outdoors a little bit later in life? Yeah, my, my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time. Uh, she was my she was my girlfriend. She's from out west in Idaho. She was trying, I think, I don't know if she would agree with this, but it was my perception that she was trying to get me to meet the parents back home. And she was going uh, back uh, for a couple of weeks or a week or so in the summertime. And she invited me along and I was pretty busy here in Washington. And I said, oh, I'm good. I'll just uh, I'll just stay here. I'll see when you see when you get back. Have a great trip. And then uh, she came back with a different offer. She said, "Well, I have a, a buddy of mine who's a world class fly fisherman guide out here in northern Idaho, and he's seen you on, you know, Fox and CNN and some of these other places. And he'd uh, he'd love to take you fly fishing and talk uh, Washington politics." And I thought, "Okay, fine." So I got on a plane and uh, came out. Did some fly fishing. I think I, we I think we actually floated the Clark Fork. Anybody can catch a fish on the Clark Fork. I think with the number of fish in that in that river, I'm not sure what it runs these days, but you know how Montana rivers are. I I caught some fish and I just really 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 enjoyed it, and that's how I kind of got started into it. And I, I tend to be a person who <laughs> often goes all in on things, and uh, I just found out that I really loved it. And it's one, not one of the things, I, like I said, Rob, that I, that I grew up with. My folks didn't hunt or fish, and I played a lot of organized sports, just never never picked up a, a fishing rod or a, a 
or a rifle or a shotgun. I really, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And then later on, I started to, to write a little bit about it. So all of those exotic places you can or cannot tell us you went to, there was <laughs> no fishing in any of those places, like not even an inkling of fishing at all. And do you now regret having never been introduced fishing to fish those places? Well, you know, I don't know if there would have been time, you know, because a lot of those were, were official business. I think I've been to like 65 countries or something. Wow. So including places like uh, North Korea and the, the former Soviet Union, although Russia has quite a fishing industry now. Um, I don't know that it did then, but I was often on official business. Like uh, when I went to the Soviet Union as a young naval officer, I went there as an interpreter. Uh, the Navy taught me Russian during U.S. Navy Soviet ship visits, either here in the United States or obviously there in the, in the Soviet Union. So I was I was pretty busy running around uh, doing that sort of uh, doing that sort of work. So I never thought about uh, going to the Kamchatka Peninsula and chasing uh, some of those amazing fish that the, that the Russians have. And it was a different time, obviously. And yeah, I didn't I didn't think about uh, fly fishing or fishing. I didn't fish actually when I went to North Korea. So that wasn't really even an option, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how good the fishing is in North Korea. I don't know much about it. Yeah, I don't know. What was it like there besides dystopian? <laughs> it's an interesting place. This was in the late 1990s. Uh, I was a congressional staffer and uh, relations were kind of warm between the Clinton administration and the North Korean regime at that time. There was a rapprochement going on. And so I was able to, uh, to travel over there. You know, I, since I since I cut my teeth in foreign policy on the Soviet Union, there weren't too many surprises, although the world had changed significantly since the early 90s. And this was in the late 1990s, as I recall. It's a, it's a very strange, uh, very strange place, a very Stalinist. Um, you know, these amazing pieces of Stalinist architecture and boulevards and things along that line. Obviously, you could sense the, the tremendous amount of political pressure on the on the people, although you didn't really get to you know, witness that or speak about it personally. And we were there. There was a terrible famine going on when I was there. And one of the reasons I was there was to, along with other, some other congressional staffers, was to look at the aid program. There was food aid going into, into North Korea and a desire that that not be diverted to the North Korean military because we had uh, American troops on the other side of the DMZ, right? So, um, but we got around, we got around the country. I also got to visit some POWMIA uh, sites where they were um, trying to repatriate uh, Americans um, to the United States, as we did in Vietnam and other places around the world um, after the, this was after, obviously after from the Korean War. But, uh, yeah, there was a terrible famine going on. Uh, and a lot of it was unfortunately self-inflicted on the part of the North Koreans yeah. uh, because communist ideology and their their uh, communist uh, economic policies. It's, it's a very, it was a very, it was like, it was like going back to the Soviet Union, but even more so, oh. <laughs> you know, more strict, I think, than the, than the Soviet Union was. Yeah. All right. Well, back on a happy topic. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. Let's, 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 before I went into the sad dive of the situation in North Korea, you mentioned outdoor writing. So how did you start writing? Was when you were in school, did anyone say, oh, you've got a gifted voice on the typewriter no you know i went to the naval academy so the um humanities aren't a, a large part of that uh, that curriculum there it's mostly you know science and engineering obviously is someone's being developed to be a future naval officer and there's a 
a lot of science and technology and aviation and driving ships and submarines and things along that line. Imagine submarines with nuclear reactors and stuff like that. No, not at all. Um, in fact, I probably, I think I probably struggled with my history papers and other humanity courses that I did, that I did take at, uh, at Navy. After I left the Bush administration, I was a deputy assistant secretary of defense uh, in the Bush administration for the first couple of years. And when I left, I um, joined uh, a public policy institute in Washington. I was uh, recruited, the Iraq war was coming up, and I was recruited to become an opinion writer uh, for the New York Post. I started writing for the New York Post on, on a weekly basis back then wow. and on foreign policy issues. So I, um, I kind of learned how to write on the job. Uh, I don't think I was a gifted. I don't think I was, I was a gifted writer before that. I don't think I'm a gifted writer now either. Did a bit of writing and I, I wrote for the New York Post for 10 years and I wrote for the Boston Herald as a foreign policy freelance columnist uh, for, for 14 years and a bunch of other articles. That's what you kind of do in the think tank world do a lot of writing and things along that line. So I, I learned it. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. But at one point I, I decided to, I thought, well, I really enjoy this hobby of, of hunting and fishing. Why don't I try to write about it? And I was able to find a few uh, outlets that were willing to, to run my things. And that's how it all got, how it all got started. So uh, I'm, I'm not particularly productive in my outdoor writing. I do a little bit of it when I can, uh, because I've, uh, you know, around family and work and things along that line, but I really do enjoy it. And I find, I do find, and you probably have found the same sort of thing is that you learn a lot as you, you know, you have to write about something. So I, I found it has helped my, my fishing and shooting and hunting and things that along those lines. The challenge, as you know, as somebody who runs a podcast is you got to write, you got to talk about something new, right? Uh, you can't, you can't write about bluegill fishing every week. Yeah. So that, that can be a challenge finding, you know, finding new materials. But I found it fabulous in, in many ways because it, it, it kind of forces you to expand yourself. Uh, you know, from I do archery, I do shooting, um, all sorts. There's all sorts of different shooting. There's all sorts of different fly fishing, as you know, different, different fish, salt, the freshwater, big game, small game, you know, all those sort of, all those sort of things. So it really does. It really does expand you if you want to go ahead and go ahead and publish. And I'm sure the same with you. I'm sure you probably learned a lot from your Absolutely. guests. Yes. <laughs> uh, have you seen my gray jacket that I've been missing since November? <laughs> no, I haven't seen you since July. All right. But you haven't seen my jacket anywhere. No, I have. I have not seen. I've not seen your jacket. All right. So when you're on these trips, what gives you inspiration to do the writing? Is well, there you know, a certain thing that does the the trip come before the idea or do you go places and then you get the idea? You know, I, since I started fishing and hunting or the outdoors later in life, I had a huge number of things on my bucket list, right? There were things and then occasionally my work would have me travel, you know, someplace and I would add a vacation day or something like that and stick around and, and do some fishing along those lines. And of course, the internet is a great source for finding out what's, uh, what's out there. So I don't know, I don't know which, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg in that, in that respect. But I do have a, I do definitely have a, you know, bucket list of things that I, that I try to get around to as best I can. Like I said, I had a big bucket list because I didn't start uh, hunting or fishing till, till midlife. So I don't know exactly where that inspiration inspiration uh, comes from other than a deadline, which uh, tends to focus the mind. 
Like, yeah, no, I don't know exactly. I never really thought about it. These are very probing questions. Yeah. All right. So we've got writing, we've got fishing, we've got hunting. How'd you get into painting? <laughs> How'd you know about that? It's your intelligence network, I guess. Social media. Oh, social media. Uh-oh. And I right. and one of the emails. Oh, okay. You were. Right, exactly, because I couldn't was get together with you because of uh because of because of that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're painting happy trees or something. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and in fact I have a uh my my son gave me a, a Bob Ross bobblehead doll for Christmas uh recently. Uh, has all of his cute little has all of his cute little sayings. But no, I've always had an interest in art. Not that I'm any good at it, but I've always had an interest in art. Once again, I find it's a, it's very therapeutic and and uh, in many many ways, and an opportunity to be creative and another intellectual and uh, you know creative creative challenge. Because you know this like we as we say in in writing, you know that the, the there's nothing more terrifying to a writer than the blank page, because <laughs> you have to start. Where on the other side is it where you know people like what is it? I think Oscar Wilde said he said that uh, there's nothing more no temptation greater than the temptation to change somebody else's draft. But when somebody gives you a piece to, to edit or to give comment on, it's it's much much easier. But that blank page is is terrifying to a writer. Maybe not all writers, but some writers certainly. And the same thing with a with a blank canvas when you're trying to write something. Now I'm not trying to make it. Fortunately, I'm not trying to make a living off of writing or painting, other than my research work at the Public Policy Institute. In terms of um, in terms of painting, it's the same sort of thing. And occasionally, you know, it's it's I I find it to be. Uh, fun in that it's iterative, you know, because like, for instance, if you're doing oil painting, the paint has to dry. So you can only do so much at a certain time. And you kind of have to put it aside. And a lot of times you're really unhappy with the way it looks, but then you come back, you know, a week later, if it's a class or a group lesson or something along that line, or you get back around to it, and it, it looks a heck of a lot better. And that's, it's almost like magic. Um, like there's some sort of pixies out there that might be working on it when you're not, a, when you're not around, but um, yeah, it's just part of the, I think the creative, the creative process and something since I was a kid that I've liked and, and had to put aside for, for a number of years and have, have, uh, have come back to it. That's fantastic. Um, do you wear shorts or pants when you're on TV and only shown from <laughs> jacket up? <laughs> I'm always fully dressed, always fully dressed. You never want to take a chance with that. And there have been, there have been plenty of times where, <laughs> as you know, I think that we probably both know from from YouTube where that is not that has not gone well for not gone well for people. But uh, yeah, no, I'm always um, I'm always in the right outfit in the right outfit just to avoid something uh, something something like that. Yes. All right. So you mentioned fresh water and salt water earlier. The answer to these could either be, or I should say, the question for this should be: I'm going to ask you something, and it's the favorite one to. To eat and, and to either shoot or or, or catch. <laughs> Favorite freshwater fish to catch and or eat? Oh, fresh. Well, if you're going to eat it, I would say it's got to be walleye. Walleye is uh, walleye is terrific. Although I'm, you know, I'm I'm mostly a fly angler, so I'm mostly a catch and release uh, fly fisherman. I do bring home some stripers and mahi mahi, and if I get into walleye. Okay. Bugger. You're talking uh, saltwater now. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I mixed it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah, so right. probably the only. I've never eaten a trout that I've caught. I've always returned them to the water. Me too. 
I don't, you know, I don't know if they're, I don't know if you feel the same way. I don't know if they're, uh, you know, there's certain ways to prepare it, but I don't find trout to be terribly tasty. Maybe unless you smoke it or something like that. But that's just my, that's just my palate. Um, but I think walleye is probably trying to think if there's other, well, I've, I've caught salmon. That's an Andromenus fish, fish, right? So that's not mm-hmm. quite both. I would have to I say, add that to it. All right. Gonna... Yeah, I'd have to. Yeah, you get. Is that a third category? Yes, we're gonna have that in there. Uh, your favorite anadromous fish? To uh... it's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be salmon. Okay, there we go. Absolutely, absolutely, salmon. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite saltwater fish to catch, eat, yeah. and shoot? <laughs> I don't shoot any. I don't shoot any. Oh, an arrow. Well, no, I have done boat fishing. I have, but I went for Chesapeake rays. That's what I mostly did in terms of boat fishing, which is, is uh, interesting. And I wrote an article about it for Woods and Waters magazine, but it's, um, it's, it's, it, they're much easier to hit than the, uh, than fish with a bow. There's no question. There's no question about that being, the, being the size that they are and they're in the, they're in the salt water. But let's see for saltwater fish. Wow. You know, there's so many, there's so many great, great fish out there to choose from. And saltwater, as you know, is, is such a different challenge than, than, than freshwater. Um, those split tailed uh, fish are just incredible, incredible swimmers. But I have done, I've done Hawaii, Hawaiian bones, which are big bones, much bigger than in the, in the, in the Caribbean. They're very accessible right off of there, off of Waikiki. And I mean, they'll put you, you know, I don't know, 100, 200 yards in, into your backing. Um, I would not know this. I caught lizard fish there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but just, just incredible. And the size is just so much bigger than like the fish you see in the Caribbean or the Keys, uh, the bone, the bone fish. Tarpon is also, tarpon is also amazing. I don't, I've, um, I don't think I've caught, I don't think I've eaten any of the fish I've caught on the fly. I've always put those back, but I have, I can too. Bring some stripers and mahi mahi or tuna home if I go on an offshore trip once a year, just to, just for the family who really really enjoys it. But I mostly I, I put most fish back. All right. What about your favorite bird to shoot and or eat? Wow, that's another tough one. I love bird hunting. Actually, uh, I'll take any any extra pheasant tails you you have. I understand, understand that. And I haven't been out pheasant hunting in a bit. I usually go to North Dakota every year to pheasant hunt with some friends. The hunting has been good and the pandemic has slowed things, has slowed things down. I would say I, I, wow, that's tough. I would say quail probably, Bob White quail. They're, uh, they're terrific. They're, I think they're terrific eating and they're, they're really great birds. And it's, I, you know, you talk to friends, um, that have lived in Virginia for a long time. And it's, it's amazing how many quail we used to have here in Virginia. You know, it's, they're trying to bring them back, but um, you talk to some folks and they'll talk about how, you know, there were quail all over, you know, Northern Virginia, coveys of quails. They didn't even shoot single quails. They'd go after wow. just push, you know, 20, 25 coveys. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And they're trying to bring them back, but I don't know if they'll ever, I don't know if they'll ever be able to do, be able to- do we have grouse in Fairfax County. Pretty sure there was some down in Clifton recently. I, we used to, well, my understanding, remember I'm from up, I'm from upstate New York, so I'm not a Virginian. I've been here for quite a while. I don't think there's grouse in Fairfax. You might, you may, you can hunt for them. I, I'm not even sure there's a season open for grouse east of the Blue Ridge, 
but you're more likely to find them out in the mountains. I, I've seen them in the Shenandoah National Park, um, and I know they're in the Alleghenies, but those numbers have also diminished uh, uh, significantly, and that's, that's rough grouse. But I don't think there's any in Fairfax. I mean, it's, it's possible. I mean, they, what do they talk about in Fairfax now? You know, I, black bear sightings. Yeah, and, my know. neighborhood had them during the pandemic, and I, yeah, yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, we got foxes all over the place. So there, there's, there's, there's wildlife, but I don't think, I don't think we have um, grouse this far, this far east, or at least in Fairfax County. I don't think we have, uh, we have them, and they're, they're also. A tremendous, cha- tremendously challenging bird because you hunt them in the forest. And when and those it, things start up, it scares the oh, bejeebus. Holy yeah, shnikes. Try- yeah, trying to knock one down, you know, between the trees is a real is a real challenge. Yeah. And they're really strong flyers. But yeah, the numbers of those in Virginia aren't. You have to go further north into, into Pennsylvania, to New York, and to New England to find, or you know, the Midwest and Wisconsin, Minnesota. To figure out what these birds were that were down in Clifton. Clifton yeah. is the boonies of the county. Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about grouse. I'm I'm open minded about it, but I just I I wouldn't think that would be their their habitat. Yeah, if you thought you saw them and you've seen them before in the wild, maybe you're right. All right. Have you ever had a backcountry emergency? Anything go wrong when you're out hunting or fishing? No, but it is kind of a nightmare, isn't it? The thought of it, right? So I try to I try to. I try to go with the guide as often as possible in case, you know, you were to slip and hit your head on a rock or something along that line or a buddy. I mean, that's, that's, that's critically, uh, that's critically important. And I do have a, I do have a, a satellite receiver if I needed it for those, for those purposes. But no, I think the, the worst thing was getting stung on the eye Ugh. up in Maine last summer by a black fly Ugh. up there landlocked salmon fishing. You probably look like the toxic Avenger after that. What's that? You probably looked like the toxic Avenger. Like <laughs> I was just all. Ugh. Well, what the? Yeah, it was. It was not. It was not. Uh, it was not a happy moment. And I had been had been just saying prior to that to my uh, friend I was fishing with that the black flies hadn't been bothering me. <laughs> I didn't even really feel the bite. I didn't. I didn't notice it till I uh, headed to the bathhouse and looked in the mirror. Uh, yeah, so that was probably my biggest uh, emergency knock on wood so far, and I'm I'm not looking forward to finding any uh, creating any stories to share with you in the future. If that's uh, how about yourself? Let's see. In the middle of the Amazon, this woman that had joined our trip, yeah, she, she was all high school people, and somehow, so high school trip. She joined us. She was probably in her sixties, and she fell and broke her arm. Well, there was uh, band-aids and some bandanas and that was it. She and went to your high school when you for high school trip you went to the Amazon? Yeah, one of the teachers organized it. We did oh. a week in the Galapagos, a week in the Andes, oh. a week in the Amazon. It was pretty wild being 16 and just going all over. That was a public school trip? Yeah, South Lakes High School, go Seahawks. My goodness. Wow. That's that's pretty exotic. Yeah, and this woman somehow joined us, and I mean, some someone had Tylenol or Advil, maybe some painkillers, but yeah, there were no satellite things back then. There wasn't any, you know. I think my dad had Divers Alert Network, Dan, for me. Yeah, but this woman was basically stuck. Oh my goodness! Well, that's yeah, dope. had a happy ending. Yeah, she had a pretty miserable 
boat ride back with us and it was just cold and wet for the whole trip nothing really dried off and my goodness yeah it was it was pretty wild yeah i don't have any i haven't i don't have any great stories um that way although i did feel like i was going to get hypothermia once i went fishing for steelhead on the columbia river in winter time and my first steel heading uh heading trip and uh I was still a pretty new fly fisherman, a very new fly fisherman, as a matter of fact. But I decided I wanted to do this, and it was way above my pay grade in terms of ability and stuff like that, but I decided I wanted to do it. We went into the water, and it was cold. I mean, we were chipping ice off uh, the snake guides. I was. Uh, I realized that my uh, waders were leaking, but I wasn't sure if, I, if they were actually... Um, if that's the way they were supposed to be, if it was like a wetsuit, you know what I mean? Cause I'd never really fished in the winter time and really had only done summertime stuff where you would wear a pair of shorts and get in a drift boat. And I thought, Oh, I guess my feet will just kind of warm up this, this water. Then I eventually, I said it to the guy that said, my waders are leaking. Are they supposed to be leaking? My feet supposed to be wet. <laughs> it's like, no, they're not supposed to be wet. And that was the only pair of waders we had. So it was, um, that was, that was quite an experience. That was quite an experience, but, uh, no hypothermia. I, I probably, probably could have gotten to that point if I hadn't, uh, we probably had to pull out of the water early, but I probably would have gotten to that point if I hadn't, um, if I hadn't said anything. Yikes. I put a hook in my arm in Colorado a long time ago. I got stuck, but that wasn't any backcountry emergency. Yeah, how big is it? That's uh, did it come out easily or just? Yeah, they used a piece of dental floss. It's on YouTube, and he oh, wow. just did the trick where he he took one hand, wrapped the mono around the bend of the hook, pushed the cone down, and just popped it. And he stuck a bandaid right on it. There was no blood. Wow, it was not like the time it happened in New Jersey, and the local emergency room used Home Depot pliers, and they just pulled it until it came out. Ouch. That was you? <laughs> yeah, they did not know what they were doing. Thank goodness wow. for lidocaine. Wow. Oh. So you're, saying, you're saying them pulling it out was on YouTube or the instructions for using dental floss to take it out is on YouTube? Oh, it's on YouTube when they, they had the nurse film the hook being taken out of my arm. at the With the pliers? No, that was the dental floss. Oh, okay. Oh, that okay. woman had no sense of humor in Jersey at the shore. She was an oh. angry one. Okay. I remember the lidocaine shot hurt pretty bad. She just wow. came by and stuck me. Wow. That doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like any fun. No, it's of, always the, the one time you don't smash the barbs that you get hooked. Right. That's always that's always uh that's always a problem. But you know, you smash the barbs as best as you can, but they're never not always completely smashed, as right. we all we all know. And that would be a bad time for it to to get in charge. What happened? Where were you in New Jersey where this happened? I was somewhere on the shore. Oh, okay. I knew a guy who plays in a band and I can't remember their name. There's some huge cover band in New Jersey. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they are, but they're really big and they played this bar all the time. And I had a couple hours to hang out and go fish. And I went to double hall and through the line, and I'm looking around for the line and I just, I start following, I didn't see where it went. And I, I start following the line from the sand up to leader. Leader goes right into my arm. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a, it's like a size one Tamco in my arm. 
Because well, if it goes in fast, you don't feel it. Okay. So I I didn't even feel it go in. And then I'm pulling and pushing, and then I'm starting to get green and queasy. And Oh, goodness. Blah. Mm. Yeah, and, and I cut the mono, and I'm walking back to my car with this just pair. It looks like there's a parakeet on my arm. And then I sat for a couple hours in the emergency room. You'd mm. think that a hospital near the beach would be familiar with removing hooks, but they were not. That's interesting. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes. It's a learning experience. Yeah, right. Oh, well, that's, uh, well, hope that's, hopefully those are the last ones for you. Yeah. I mean, especially as somebody in your business, I would think that that's probably a regular risk, right? It is. Yeah. I definitely wear sunglasses and my rule is if you get hooked and it's stuck in you, I'm going to take a picture before I take it out. At some point I'm going to have a collage of these. Got quite a few over the years. Oh, is that right? Yes. But how was Cape Cod? It was great. It was great. I really enjoyed it. We went up there just to kind of, you know, do some summer tourism. Was able to uh, was able to get in a day of fishing. Or I guess maybe a half day, half day of fishing for striper. Able to get into them very successfully. I can't remember the size of the fish, but you know, a lot of fish over thirty inches. Um, we kept. Wow. We thought stripers, and then we kept like. Uh, the hooks kept disappearing, and then we realized that they were blues mixed Blue in with. Um, so that was, uh, and then we finally figured that out, and we changed things up a little bit. I was with a guide offshore, and changed things up, and um, yeah, no, they were they were great. They were great fun. It was great fun. Big fish. I think I just had a really you know a really good day. Lots of blues. Lots of wraps on my knuckles from the the reels getting out. I I didn't, I don't think I'd ever caught stripers that big. Not to say those are the biggest, but I don't think I'd ever caught them, so I was really surprised by the uh, really surprised by the, the the pull. And you know, Cape Cod is a you know beautiful place. We you know it's a beautiful place, and not far from not far from Boston. We actually got a got in to see a game at Fenway too, which was really terrific. Oh. So we were able to do that despite the incredible heat we had. We were under. Luckily, we were under um, one of the overhangs. So, you know, if you've ever gone to Fenway, I don't know if you've ever been to Fenway. I, I have nineteen eighty. Six or seven. The only thing you got to be careful about where your seats are because they got those those poles, you know, these these strong these stanchions that hold up the upper deck. You know, you could be sitting right behind that pole. <laughs> it cuts off a good bit of your of your view of the uh, of the game. No, it was it was that was the summer it was incredibly hot last summer. There was a period was incredibly hot, so we were able to able to do that. We were over the under the upper under the upper deck saw a game there and i guess that's what america's oldest uh oldest stadium right i don't and, know those things anymore yeah i think it is i think it's america's oldest um continuously operating uh stadium and i forgot when it goes when it goes back to so and boston is a lot of fun you know there's a lot of a lot of great things to see there and you know part of the reason there we were taking my my son to see it for the first time so yeah was, loads of loads of history up there too yeah it's just wild a, history buff so he really uh he really enjoyed that and we got a little bit out to the out to the cape and the beach and uh I, you know the other thing there is is the sharks right you know about the great whites yeah i was gonna say did you see sharks and the seals as well yeah which i guess is a you know these great whites uh, favorite appetizer right um the way i understand it i'm sure one of your listeners will, will would correct me but my understanding is that they the seals became protected the numbers grew 
And then that drew in a lot of these uh, great whites. And there's actually an app, and I don't remember the name of it, that where they have these buoys that are not that far offshore that monitor these great whites as they move along because a lot of them have been tagged great white shark conservation association i believe which is on cape cod i wouldn't be surprised if it is it's Uh, near one of the beaches i fished where i caught a hickory shad saying i drove 16 hours to catch a hickory shad i can drive 16 minutes to catch a hickory shad yeah and but it's it's kind of amazing because it's these um buoys are not that far offshore and there's all sorts of folks, you know, surfing. And yeah. one of the things I never understand is why why these wetsuits are dark black, like a seal. <laughs> I I just I I don't know if sharks have any sort of acuity, you know, color. They're, they're colorblind. They are okay, so it doesn't matter. That's why but, I don't know why all the shark flies are orange. Sharks don't see colors. Oh, really? I've never fished for sharks on the fly. I don't know why. I yeah, Ron and Valerie Taylor did some filming in the 70s where they wore black and white, like zebra striped to try and look like a, a, a sea serpent, like a kraken. Okay. Um, I don't remember, but. It didn't make it. No. And then she got bit later on. She was wearing a, a chainmail outfit. Oh, my goodness. Chomped her pretty good. Yeah, so this, this um, you know, you've got these buoys and you can monitor through this app. I've forgotten the name of it. Like I said, I've forgotten the name of it. And you can, some of them have names and you can see pictures and stuff like that, but they're not that far offshore. And of course, there's the, the seals, but, you know, really beautiful place. Uh, I was shocked at the size of the seals. Yeah. Well, what are they? There's one, there's harbor seal, and there's that other seal that they, that they have up there. That's the bigger seal. I remember right. us surf and we were like what is that um it almost looked like uh you know almost looked like a walrus but it's yeah not. It was, i thought a horse had just popped up out of the water maybe yeah. that's what they're called like horsehead seals or something i've forgotten the name of it i'm sorry it's, it's not my uh oceanography and it's not my uh it's not my calling uh or my expertise but um yeah it was uh they were they were quite big and i remember i was kind of looking at it saying is that you know what is that and then we then we did a little research obviously on our cell phones on the internet to see what it was and uh, yeah there are these larger uh, variety of, of of seals uh that are there and they're not far offshore either i mean they're they're pretty close to shore as well so i, I it's, it's a bit uh, it, it seemed a bit a bit of a risk uh, to your swimming seemed a little more risky there up there yes uh, in the summertime than it uh maybe it was years ago definitely a beautiful place and a great place to do some great place to do some uh certainly do some fishing uh, on the fly or otherwise and then you went to the Salmon River. I no, I have not gone to the oh, Salmon. Go okay. No, I've done the Erie trips, uh, but I've not gone to the Salmon River, and that's why I was talking to you, and I did not was not able to get away to uh, to go up there. So that's still on my that's still on my bucket list. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your extensive travels. Uh, so far, we have United States, Sweden, and <laughs> Canada, and then Alaska. Colorado, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Idaho, <laughs> Maine, Maryland, Hawaii, Massachusetts, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. So I'm assuming besides you got a thick passport, you got a yeah. whole bunch of fishing license. <laughs> so I've tell been- us about how, how these pla- the places you are allowed to talk about that you have, have been to and fished. <laughs> what are some of the memorable ones and... 
And what yeah. was memorable about them? Yeah, I think I've been to all 50 states now. Yeah. And I think I've I think I've been to uh, I think I've fished or hunted in like 32 of them. Uh something like that. Either fished, uh, fished or hunted in in uh, 32 different 32 different states. I mean, that's You're like the epitome of a country song. <laughs> I, I think that, I think I'm kind of an amateur. I think there's people who have done a lot more than a lot more than I have. Yeah, I don't, let's see. So, what was the, your question? Was was what? memorable places? Memorable places. My goodness, there's so many of them. I mean, you know, for trout fishing, which is one of my favorite things to do, obviously, is uh, you know, we we always say trout don't live in ugly places, right? I mean, Colorado and places like that. I mean, just are just are you know in, incredible. So I'm trying to think, you know, I think I was going back to my story about after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers. If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The Erie Tribs, Lake Erie Tribs tributaries for for steelhead. When I was a kid, Lake Erie caught on fire down uh, down in Ohio. That's how polluted it was. And when I started the outdoors uh, adventures that I, I started, um, all of a sudden I heard people talking about steelhead in you know in Western New York, not far from Buffalo. I, I graduated from high school in Orchard Park, New York, which is famous for the Bills the Bills Stadium. I just was like, what? Uh, and like I said, I didn't grow up in a, with, in a family that, that hunted or fished. Western New York, I mean, Lake Erie is incredible for, you know, a number of things. One is the, obviously, the steelhead runs. They don't have salmon on in Lake Erie. They're over on Lake Ontario. And you know that better than I do because I know you've made many trips. Uh, I think there's coho in there. Really? Yeah, I want to say Rocky River had them in Ohio. Oh, maybe... Oh, maybe it's Ohio side, but New York doesn't. So you might be right, but I don't think New York has a runs of salmon uh, in New York, in the New York trips. It's just steelhead. Um, now, Ohio, obviously, Lake Erie, you're right, goes all, goes all the way down. So maybe they do have coho down there. But, you know, I always think of when I think of New York, I think of Lake Ontario and Salmon River and, and all of that for, uh, for, for, um, for salmon. So I was just I was just shocked. The other thing is, is that Lake Erie is, is, is one of the country's best walleye fisheries, but that, you know, you don't necessarily target them on the fly, obviously, you know, for their incredible walleye fishery from what I understand. Also incredible lake trout. I did a trip up there for lake trout. It was conventional gear, incredible fish. I wish you could, you wish you could go after them on the fly, but you know, you know, 30, 40 inch fish, these huge monsters. So Western New York has got some fabulous, some fabulous fishing. When, and it may have had it when I was a kid, but I don't think the, the lake was in that great a shape. So it's just a wonderful uh, treasure now to have that, uh, that thing. And it's not that far. I mean, you know, Western New York, you can go to Ohio 
But Western New York is sound like I sound like I'm uh, advertising for them. But Western New York is you know six or seven hours. Yeah. Washington. Tell me about lake trout. Yeah, that was interesting. We uh, did that on Niagara River, you know, just down just down river from Niagara Falls as it enters Lake Ontario, because you know Lake Lake Erie. Uh, drops through Niagara Falls into the Niagara River and then it um, and then into um, and then in Lake Ontario. So you can actually besides that you can also get into Lake Run Browns. And I didn't have any luck the day I was there doing that, but we got a lot of lake trout. Um, the, the power of the water is just incredible and I said, "What's the CFS on this?" and the guy told me he said it's not see we talk about miles per hour. That's how fast that that water is is moving as it moves from lake erie into uh, into lake ontario so they kind of do these sort of laps as you know you might do with shad fishing you know on uh, off of uh, fletcher's fletcher's boathouse where you kind of you know let yourself drift down and then you power back up and that's what they were doing in these uh, boats and they're kind of they're, they're, they're lake trout in that time of year i was up there in like november it was pretty cold then too they're kind of deep uh, but boy, they can give, they don't fight very much, but they're, you know, big, big fish. And I was just shocked at how, how big they were. I mean, you know, 40 inch fish. Uh, I don't even remember what the weights, what the weights were, but um, beautiful and a, and a beautiful fish. It's too bad we can't, they're pretty, I guess there are places you can, like up in Canada, where you can, you can target uh, lake trout on the fly, but I don't know much about it in, in the lower uh 48, 48 states. I don't know if you know anything about that, Rob, but I don't know many people that target them on the on the fly. And I suppose you could always figure out a way to get a fly line down deep enough to try to to try to target them. But um, that doesn't seem to be what what folks are what folks are doing. With all these stories and all the places you've been and the things you've seen in modern times, you're not doing a podcast. You don't have to worry about competition. <laughs> you stick to writing. None of these things are true. I'm just making it all up. They don't have to be. I mean, but very good. I'm just a very good story storyteller. No, I. That's, that's I leave the podcasting up to you. Okay. You know, so I'm uh, I'm living vicariously um, through your through your podcast. But I've been on many podcasts. Most of the time, I'm talking about foreign policy, you know, like North Korea, Iran, Russia, China. Yeah. So this is uh, this is my first time on an outdoor on an outdoor podcast. Or how how do you how do you ca- characterize your your podcast? Outdoor education, but I'm also usually ranked in the science podcasts fairly high. Really? Quite interesting, yes. Is, did you study anything scientific related to fisheries? Fish. Fish, bugs, and plants. Yeah. Okay. Neotropical canopy stuff. Really? And then uh, fish and bugs. Yeah. Did you study that formally or is that informal education? I was in college. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was a super huge nerd growing up and figured that college would would be a good place to explore that. And then series of unfortunate events, just doing a podcast. Ah, My first job that fell through out of college was to be a naturalist on Little St. Simons Island in Florida. And it fell through right before graduation. Oh. What am I supposed to do now? Huh. So I got a job at Orvis and uh, then I moved to the Keys for a w- half a winter. Okay. Something. Okay. Yeah. 
So, so they, I've, I've learned fishing. I, I you know, lived out of my car for summer working at a fly shop in Colorado. Uh-huh. Worked for a shop in a lodge in West Virginia that was burnt down by locals. Uh-huh. So I got a little experience here and there working in shops and traveling. And I still read science books and stuff all the time. So you're ranked high in the science uh, science category for podcasts. Yeah, a lot of them, I think the life history of something or the science of fish slime, the science of how fish hear, fish vision. Huh. If you're in college or high school and you need information about that, that's the most consolidated podcast you're going to hear it from. Huh. Well, they're not getting they're not getting that this time, I don't think. But maybe uh, <laughs> maybe that's some with some of your other guests. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I could really add much to. Uh, I don't know if I could really add much to that, unfortunately. But have, um, have you ever been recognized on the stream or in the woods at the boat ramp? <laughs> like for what? My outdoor stuff, or for either, for other either one? I could. What's that? Either one is someone like. Did you write that article about Shad in Virginia Wildlife Magazine? What I think is very interesting. What I think is very interesting is. Um, how, you know, you, you kind of wonder when you write or you do a podcast if anybody's listening or reading, right? And it takes a little bit of effort for folks to send you a note, right? Or maybe maybe you get a lot of, maybe you do get a lot of that. But, but I, I was at um, the Virginia Fly Fishing Show recently and was walking around talking to some folks. And I did have a lot of people know who I was. And they said, Oh, I read your thing on such and such. I loved it sort of thing. And I, you know, I wasn't, uh, it was just, it was, it was kind of interesting in that, in that respect. Uh, Cause you just sometimes, you know, sometimes you do get a nice note from somebody and they say, Oh, I loved your, loved your piece or, you know, keep doing this or keep doing that. And one outlet that I used to write for one fellow says, yeah, I kept looking for your stuff and I didn't see it anymore. And I said, well, that's cause they changed the, they changed their their setup and and I'm not writing for them any longer, you know that sort of thing. He says, "Oh, I'm really disappointed." But it was uh, that was kind of that was kind of gratifying. Um, I don't know. Do you get a lot of feedback on your on your podcast? I bumped into a podcast listener on the stream yesterday in Maryland. Yeah, what? How did he know? How did he know who you were? We were saying where we drove in from, and he's like, "Oh, Northern Virginia." I'm like, "Oh, really? Where?" He's like, "Fairfax County." I'm like, "Keep going." He's like Springfield, I'm like dude, we're neighbors. <laughs> and oh, then, so, he, so he, when you he found out who you were, then he said he listened to your podcast. Yeah, he's like, I bought cicada flies from you recently. I bought some flies from you recently too. Oh, you got some extra ones coming in the mail too. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. I didn't little I Santa was a little late this year. Oh, that's okay. I I ordered some from you. I think last night. Not not related to the podcast. Yes, you got uh, 10 pink jigs. Yes, that's what you recommended, right? Oh, man, that with the chartreuse damsel behind it, that's that's my go-to for the shad run. That, that damsel, I it's it's just for shad. I mean, it's it's just magic. I don't know what it is. You get 30 or 40 of them, and then it's just one strand of crystal flash and a dangling eyeball, and they'll still hit it. Yeah, I, it's, it's an amazing fly, I have to say. I mean, I've I had tremendous success success with it and i can't figure i can't figure it out because there's there's no is there a damsel nymph in the in the potomac there are damsels i i don't know if they think it's a minnow i i those lizard fish in hawaii were caught on pink damsel flies i don't know what a lizard fish is 
Uh, Sinotus photons. They're they look like a lizard uh-huh. on a fish's body. It's a lizard mouth. That was another question I didn't ask you. People yeah. don't shoot reptiles, right? Not that I know of. There's I no snake shooting clubs or, or gecko you know, shooting folks. There are some animals. Uh, there are some animals that are that are not that are in season year round because they're they're considered to be a nuisance. Like I, I think people need people need to check the regulations. But I think you know things. Some I think coyotes. Some places are, for instance. Alligators. People Maybe yeah. need alligators. There we go. I mean, there's some, I think you can, you know, there's, there's some animals you can, uh, because there's so many of them, they're either a nuisance or, you know, a problem. Um, then there's some animals that are just, you know, uh, off limits uh, for, for any sort of, any sort of hunting. Um, so it, it depends. And I don't, I, I'm not smart enough to tell you there's a gap in my education as to why, why that is. I've never really had that conversation with a, you know, game and fish biologists or anything like that, why it is. I mean, sometimes it makes, you know, makes sense to me. Maybe there's too few numbers or something, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know exactly why that is, but there are sometimes there are animals that are just not, they're not allowed to be hunted. There's others that are allowed to be hunted. They encourage them to be hunted, uh, because of, uh, because of the troubles that they, troubles that they cause or, uh, things along that line. So yeah, you gotta, of course you, I recommend everybody read up on anything they're interested, in, but I don't know the, I don't know the history of, of that or the logic behind it. Maybe you do with your scientific background. No, nah, we just weren't allowed to collect anything. You know, alligators, venomous or poisonous snakes in college. And I don't yeah, remember I mean, the laws about shooting them. I'm sure. And I know people eat rattlesnake and alligator. Yeah. I, 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 I think I've eaten rattlesnake. I think it was yeah. during my survival training in the Navy. Um, I think they uh, they gave us rattlesnake after they starved us for a few days during survival training. Cool. I think that was things that we uh, we ate. I think we also ate uh, had rabbit, but but then they, there's others that they're you know they encourage people, right? I mean, is you probably know something about this that the uh, those large pythons in the in the Everglades. Everything in Florida, that place yeah. is crazy with what's living down there. Iguanas falling out of the tree when it gets cold, right? everything that's bizarre if people don't follow monster mike on instagram that guy catches the craziest fish in the most bizarre ways in florida really yeah but they have giant snakes there's hogs there's yeah right right so there's it goes at the dumps just depends on just depends on the place but yeah i don't know that um but i think there are i mean I mean, you know, I've seen things, but like I said, I'm not an expert on this, but I think there are, you know, like rattlesnake rodeos where yeah, people the wrangling. Collect, collect rattlesnakes. Now, I don't know what they do with them, but just not, I, I, I don't tend to, <laughs> I'm happy to avoid, uh, you know, anything that's got a rattle like that. But yeah, there are, there are all sorts of opportunities out there and I'm sure you can find out what the regulations and rules and precautions are on online depending on the state and, and, the, and the location but yeah i don't know exactly why some things are huntable and some things are not huntable other than you know obviously management or being endangered or something along that line i just don't know the philosophy behind that i probably should probably should look that up are you ready for some just bizarre n- more nonsensical questions to finish <laughs> this out <laughs> sure all right uh you just mentioned the navy what's a good cure for seasickness not going to sea um, yeah i mean it's one of those sort of things that you know i think uh I, i've heard ginger 
I don't get seasick. I, I think anybody, despite a very strong constitution, can get seasick if the waves are big enough. There's no question. Or like same with air sickness too, right? Some people don't get too bothered by a little turbulence and some people get very bothered by it. But I've heard that, um, uh, and I'm, I am a doctor, but I'm not a medical doctor, so I would suggest. So on the airplane when they're like, my God, this man's going in a heart attack arrest. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. You're a doctor and you stand up. They're like, not you, sit down. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would not raise. I would not raise my. I would not raise my hand. I don't know if there's a. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things, right? There's all sorts of products on the on the shelf. You know, ginger and Dramamine and things like that. But I don't recommend anybody. I'm not recommending anybody take anything without consulting their doctor. How about that? Is well, that that's the, a horrible feeling. What's your favorite cheese? <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, that's a tough one. Let's see. Favorite cheese. This is like the lightning round questions, huh? Oh gosh, I'm going to say American cheddar. I mean, Vermont cheddar is fabulous, but there's so many great cheeses out there. It's hard okay. to it's hard to choose, but that would be probably one of my my standbys. Good old American, good old American cheddar from Vermont. Other than a dictatorship during a famine, what's the <laughs> worst place you traveled slash fished? <laughs> Well, it's a lot of places I've traveled that I haven't fished. Worst place, yeah. North Korea is pretty tough to pretty tough to beat. I also got I also got uh, some tummy troubles while I was there. Not surprisingly, but there were some there were some like uh, we went up country up to near the Chinese border. It was one of those things like in the middle of the night, all of a sudden the water in the bathroom came on, like the shower, because it was only going to be on for a certain period of time, and I wasn't aware of that was that was the that was the case. Uh, and it was pretty hard to find um, food where you didn't have to worry about uh, potentially getting some tummy trouble. But uh, fortunately, we brought in some, uh, I think we brought ciproflaxin in with us, which is uh, which was very helpful because I think all of us, uh, all of us eventually got it, despite, uh, you know, being experienced travelers, being being very, being very careful. So, yeah, North Korea was a was a was a definitely a tough place, but I've been a number of places in the uh in the third world, but uh, that's probably that was probably the toughest. And then, of course, the the concern. The only place North Korea flies is into China, so you, you would have to fly out of North Korea into China. Uh, there was no desire to find myself in a in a clinic in in North Korea in Pyongyang. Um, you were so consulting for GoldenEye, were you? Sorry, James Bond movie GoldenEye, <laughs> late nineties. It's time you were there. <laughs> Clinton administration. Yeah, right. No, right. Yeah, that was uh I don't think many Americans are getting in these days. That was a kind of a a warm period in US North Korean relations. I think my one disappointment was I was uh we were all hoping to get over to see the uh the USS Pueblo which is uh, docked uh in uh in North Korea and we were denied to be able to go and see that and as you as you recall that was in, I think it was 1967 it was uh seized by the North Koreans and they held the American crew for, uh, for a year. But we had asked to see that. We weren't able to uh, see it. They have it kind of as a, as a museum, um, probably as a testament to you know, American imperialism, right? Some quote-unquote imperialism. But it would have been interesting to see and hear what they had to, yeah. to say. But, uh, Who is your favorite TV host to be interviewed by? <laughs> Got to be careful there. Gosh, there's a there's a whole bunch of them. I'm trying to think. 
Actually, I'm going to skip that because I have so many friends. I'm just going to skip that. I don't want to hurt anybody. It's not that I feel like anybody's feelings would be would be hurt, but it is it is great. We'll we'll say the church lady. <laughs> the church, the church. I'm not sure who that might be, but <laughs> from Saturday Night Live. Oh, isn't that special? <laughs> the funniest one was with Fred Savage is the little church lady. Oh my goodness! I don't think I. Don't, I, don't, I don't think I. You were too busy being a policy guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite fly rod? I'm guessing it's give you the one you fish for trout for. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of an Orvis guy, so I uh, and of course you know five weight is 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 fabulous. Is an all round uh, is that, and uh, I'm kind of I'm, I like uh, I like my Orvis. Uh, I guess Helios rods. Those are those are terrific. Those are terrific rods. They make me they make even me cast better. I think. But um, how about yourself? Ooh, I have an eight foot six inch five weight from Orvis. I, sh- I would have used it yesterday, but I was throwing bigger streamers. So I went with a, a nine foot five weight that's a little stiffer. It's the Orvis Henry's fork. Okay. It's just, I've had a lot of fun with that rod. It's pretty beaten up. It needs to go in for repairs. Do they even still make this? I don't know if I know they, that. They don't. Okay. Okay. So it's an older, it's I an older just- rod. I've also been. I've also taken up two-handed casting, spade casting, and I wrote something about that last year for Department of Wildlife Resources here in Virginia. Something like uh, try a new try, try a new way, try trout spay. Yeah, and I haven't done too much of it, but I'm really really interested in it. Now, do you do any two-handed stuff? I do. Richie over at District Angling was talking about trout spay recently. I only do really steelhead and salmon. I'll take a. 11 foot six weight out for shad if i just want to bomb a really big cast out right but yeah it's not my my go-to normally around here it seemed like it would be an interesting you know thing if you wanted to get a significant cast length from the shore out into a river right yeah if you want to throw like a 10 inch parakeet fly for stripers down at chain bridge you want something that's going to get out in the middle and swing down and deep Right, right, yeah. So that's that's kind of one of my new that's kind of one of my new adventures, and I, I like it, but I haven't had enough time to. It doesn't work in a river, right? Casting so church is this Sunday morning. Yeah, I you know I did one of those with them on two handed fly casting. I think it was last year though. I think it was last year, maybe in the in the springtime. I forgot who taught it. Uh, but it was super. It was super informative. It was super informative. Yeah. And, uh, Hope to continue. Hope to continue it. I haven't cast a real spay rod. These are more trout spays, you know, like a, a four weight, which is what, like a seven weight, I guess, for a, for a single handed rod. But I haven't done those huge, big, big uh, trout. Right. But uh, it's fascinating stuff. Do you have a favorite shotgun? Wow, that's another one. I've got I've got several. <laughs> it depends on the game you're going after, right? Yeah, if you're going after quail, you might be using a 28 gauge, maybe a 20 gauge. Of course, you know, maybe 20 gauge or 28 gauge. Sure. What I wish I had that I don't have is a 16 gauge, and they say it uh, it swings like a it swings like a uh, a 20 gauge, a light which is lighter than a 12 gauge, and hits like a 12 gauge. But I don't have one of those, and they're, um, yeah, they're starting between a 20 and a 12 gauge. Yeah, no, they're. It just depends on just depends on the depends on the game that I'm uh, birds that I'm, that I'm chasing, or, you know, you can, I also shoot waterfowl and Turkey 
then you can use shotguns, use okay. shotguns as well. Um, what are your thoughts on Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> You'd have to ask my 13-year-old. Hopefully uh, he doesn't know about Jar Jar Binks. My 12-year-old <laughs> does not. And your 13-year-old is three times the size of... So I'm saying you got to hunt and, and fish to feed your child. <laughs> well, that's a Star Wars. I'm not a Star Wars guy, but my uh, my wife and my son are. So that's that's a Star Wars thing, right? I feel yeah. like I'm a culturally illiterate here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big science fiction fiction well, type. More of a I'm more of a nonfiction type, you know, with my background in international relations and national security. So I have to say I'm, I'm sometimes culturally illiterate. But why doesn't your 12-year-old know about yours? Is there something that... Uh, that's oh, it's horrible. Of... He's a gimmick. It has nothing uh, to do with the Force. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So you're, you're, you're talking Star Wars there. Yes. You're, lo you're losing me. No so, worries. Okay. All right. All right. Do you have a bucket list fish that you just have not been able to catch? Yes. Several. Mm -hmm. I've I've lost a number of muskie on the fly. Oh no! Yeah, I think I'm zero for seven. That's not seven, bad. Seven, seven. I lost seven. I hooked seven. This is all up in Wisconsin and Hayward on two different trips. In fact, I wrote a column that um, making fun of myself about how bad I was, which won some uh, one out at least one outdoor writing award because uh, I was just like. I think my first my first cast or my second or third cast on the first day of a four day trip, I hooked a muskie and I was like ten thousand casts. What are they talking about? This is nothing. Right. It was the first time I was going for muskie, Sweet. and I ended up zero for four on that trip. And uh, I mean, I did catch thirty five inch pike and like a, a twenty four inch smallie as bycatches. They weren't they weren't our targets. We were just after muskie, but I lost three more last October. I didn't, I hooked them, played them, you know, just lost them. And it's, it's like, I call it the devil fish. I also have, I also want to get an Atlantic salmon and I fish for them once up in the Atlantic provinces. And I just, I didn't hook any. So that's another fish that I really want to, uh, that I really want to hook and land. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd love to get a marlin. But so yeah, I've got I've got a bunch of fish that I really I still wanna I still wanna catch. I haven't I haven't been fishing for bull reds yet, so that's something else that I wanna I wanna do. So yeah, there's uh, there's plenty out there. There's plenty out there. But yeah, Atlantic salmon, definitely. I'm not sure if I'm I've, I've caught a muskie on conventional gear, so I'm not sure I'm going to continue this uh, this fool's errand of chasing muskie on the <laughs> on the fly. Have you got? Do you have a muskie on the fly? No, I've only seen the muskie. Uh, we hooked one on a copper John and landed it in, in Burke Lake at one time. Oh wow! I don't know how, but I've never had any interaction with them. Yeah, no, they they're they're tough. They're tough fit, and up and you know up up there. Although we've got big muskie here, you know, I, didn't I read that yeah. they electroshocked two fifty inches in the Shenandoah? Yeah, there's some monsters in Virginia. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be up near Dam Four at some point soon. Try yeah. for them there. They're um, they, but they've got these mouths of concrete, and you know, and like the, this one. The, the, so the last fish I hooked, I thought I got this guy. I was playing him, and you know, I was, I was making, I was getting him to the boat, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then he jumped, like you know, straight, came completely out of the water. It was a forty-plus inch fish, and just threw the hook. Who uh, I wanted to cry. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I've seen them in, in Ohio. You yeah. can walk right up to them in a spillway, but yeah, I, I, I'd rather hook and have lost one than it ever have hooked one at all. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one way of that's way of uh, of looking at it. I tell know, myself that about steelhead when I'm in New York, when I got nothing to do all day. Oh, really? Well, you think I don't think steelheaders? I don't think steelheaders difficult as I, I think their mouths are softer than musky. And of course, they don't steelheads don't get as big as as you know some of these musky. I mean, when, you know, good sized steelhead is what thirty plus inches, yeah. but you know, you're talking about a lot of fish that are forty plus, sometimes up to near fifty, fifty plus. You know that sort of uh, that sort of thing. I also did something fun recently that I enjoyed. In December, I went uh, chain pickerel fishing in off Annapolis. I've heard a lot of people enjoy that at this time of year. Yeah, it's a December. It's a winter winter sort of thing. They were, I you know I I hooked a good number of fish. It wasn't a great day. I hooked a good number of fish. I lost a number of them too. I was just kind of surprised, and I, I guess that's pretty common. They they got, they're toothy. Yeah, they get. They, I, I lost. Uh, I lost them. I hooked them. I was playing them. I thought I was gonna, you know, put it in the net. They were gone. I don't know. I don't know. It was my first time, but that they were fun. So I've, I've gotten, I've gotten one of each of the Esox family. So that's, uh, but uh, not all on the fly. I still have the muskie. I'm not sure it's worth my. It's worth uh, worth continuing that down that down that road, kind of like the permit, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No interest. Uh, what's something you will not buy generic? Jeez, <laughs> these are not the sort of questions that I that I that I expected, or not that I prepared for any of this. But um, not not one of the things that I was really uh, expected. Uh, let's see. Oh gosh, that I won't buy generic. Uh, one of mine is Nyquil. <laughs> I don't think we. I don't. I don't think I take Nyquil. So, uh, yeah, that stuff is great. Probably vitamins, probably or supplements, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't necessarily necessarily uh, do that. That's the only thing I can think of at the moment. I really. That's. I'm, I apologize for my lack of. Uh, that's quite joy. okay. How does yeah. one get a Brooks Outdoors hat? What's that? How does one get a Brooks Outdoors hat? <laughs> Uh, I don't sell them. They're not. They're not for sale. It's not that. They're just generally for my own. Uh, my generally my own amusement and that of my uh, of some of my friends and 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 fam- family. So did yeah, I do, have a, I do have a couple of hats that has say Brooks Outdoors on it. That makes did your fun. wife marry you so she could get a Brooks Outdoor hat? <laughs> I was a Brooks Outdoors then. Oh. I was Outdoors. Well, that's right because she's the one that inspired all of this. I, she inspired it, and she's yeah. still. She's you know. Being being an Idaho gal, she still thinks that 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 uh, it's being outdoors is is great. So she she actually she's a, a tremendous inspiration and uh, to me and uh, very uh, supportive and um, encourages me to get out as often as I as often as I can. It's tougher now because I've got a I've got a super jock at home, so we're involved in you know travel this and travel that all year round uh, for sports. Before he started tearing up the courts and the fields and the diamonds, I, uh, I used to get out a, a lot more. So actually I'm, I'm glad I did when I, uh, all the outdoor stuff that I did and I still try to get out, but uh, my favorite thing is uh, seeing him uh, play sports. So that's, uh, that's kind of a priority right now. Fantastic. That's awesome. Who's got the best sandwich on Capitol Hill? And then <laughs> who's got the best sandwich when you're out hunting slash fishing? 
<laughs> wow. I don't know. Things have changed so much on Capitol Hill. You know, they've uh, a lot of places have gone out of business. I grew up in Bullfeathers a lot. That's is I you know that's on the House side and that's where I work, but on my office now is on the Senate side. So I don't get over there. Is Bullfeathers still with us? I don't know. Yeah. There used okay. to be the the blind last- tiger or the white tiger. That's gone. Yep. That, that's gone. That there's something new going in there though. So you're a bit of a foodie, I, I sense, right? Yeah, and there's so many few things you can control in life. Like fishing, you know, you can't control it, but you can control dinner. And tonight right. I had a French chicken stew with rice. It was fantastic. Wow. Uh, and, and so do you actually, are you a cook as well? Yeah, I make everything from scratch except like snacks. I mean, I buy my Oreos, but every wow. meal is something something from scratch. So I, I made uh, hummus from scratch today. Michael That's- Salamanov recipe. It's like a two-day process, but mm. two-day, you don't want to buy store-bought hummus because that's gross. Two-day two hummus? You got to soak it with baking powder. Why? I think it helps break out the the outer part of the exocarp of the pea, the, the chickpea. Oh, wow. I don't do that. I, I That's one of the things I do make is hummus. I don't, I don't do anything. That's I'll right. bring you hummus next time we fish. Put in the food processor with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of the ingredients, you know, olive oil and other lemon juice and turmeric and stuff like that, and garlic and things along that line. And uh, that's all I that's all I do. So you're you're way ahead of me. Yes. But yeah, I don't know about. I'm not. I don't. Uh, I don't know about up on on the hill if if uh, there. But the feeding, you know, fifteen thousand staffers. Um, there's plenty of places to get a, you know, get a good burger or, or get a, get a burrito or things like that. But I think a lot of those are actually more on the, uh, on the house side. Right. And then union station is going through an interesting process. It's, uh, it, the food courts and things like that have, uh, seem to have shut down quite a bit. We were at union market on Friday, an hour, oh, yeah. 30 minutes after we left, some kids started popping off guns outside. That's not good. Well, my sandwich is pretty good. Well, where did you eat? Uh, it was the butcher. It was pastrami and corned beef, wow. Reuben, and it was remarkable. Wow. And then, yeah, right after we left, shots. Kids got out of school and just were shooting at each other, so I'm, I don't know. That's that's, that's uh, All right, next question. Uh, Van Halen or Van Hagar? Catch <laughs> Van Halen. All right. <laughs> Uh, do you have any superstitions or irrational fears? <laughs> uh, no. How's that All right. And the last question before we round out, uh, Super Bowl prognostication. Ooh. Well, I was a Bills fan. I am a Bills fan, so we're, uh, we're upset. I don't know. Maybe since I'm a Bills fan, I may have to go with the AFC. Which but, team is uh, that? We'll see. What's that? Which one is that? That's that's Kansas City. Okay, so they beat the Bengals the other. They beat the Bengals the other night, but that was uh, last night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I watched was, a little bit of the games. Yeah, right. So I think that's going to be um, it's going to be Kansas City because they the Bengals beat the Bills and uh, Kansas City. The Chiefs beat the beat the Bengals, so we'll probably stay with the. Uh, Stay with the AFC. I'm not sure who's going to win it. Let's see. I'm going to I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Kansas City as long as uh, their QB is is healthy. He's been fighting some 
some injuries, Mahomes. So we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. And I guess we got two weeks for that. Right? We'll have a week off. All right, my man. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. I'm finally glad we got to do this. <laughs> I know we've been trying. We've been trying for a while. I think since yeah. uh, since last summer, both we're both busy. But thanks for thanks for checking in with me. How can people find you online? You know, I'm, I don't have a website, but post stuff on my uh, Facebook page. You know, my outdoor stuff and things like that. Um, that's Pete Brooks, and you, there's a picture of me with a with an elk. And Instagram at Brooks Outdoors. Fantastic. So that's kind of what. Uh, that's kind of where you can you can catch up with me. All right, my man. Have a good evening, and uh, we'll find you during the shad run. We'll go. go catch yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. Look forward to getting your flies too. Yeah, they should be there tomorrow. I won't put hummus in the mail. <laughs> Thanks. All right, take care. All the best, man. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned... No matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.